Kings, the 10th chapter, almost done with Solomon. We have one more week to go with Solomon, and then Solomon will go the way of his fathers. Yep, 11 chapters for, for Solomon, not nearly the same for everybody else, but he gets the, the most of that. Uh, verse 1, Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great uh, retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. Now the queen of Sheba, Sheba is uh, thought to be the area of Ethiopia. It is the area where Sheba, the grandson of Cush, uh, was uh, supposed to have settled. So that would be there. Now Jesus calls her the queen of the south. There are some folks who thought this area might be in Arabia, but that would not make it the queen of the south. So it seems uh, from Jesus' description and other, words, uh, other places that Ethiopia is a more common, common spot. If you went over to Acts chapter 8 and verse 27, talking about the uh, eunuch, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury and all had come to Jerusalem to worship. So it seems that very often the, the sovereign from that area was female. Uh, and so that's why the queen of Sheba is, is spoken about here. Uh, it seemed to be very common for, for that area. So uh, the queen of Sheba, we don't know what her name was, not Sheba. But she was the queen of Sheba. And she came on up here to, to talk with him. So it wasn't. don't get the idea that it's the queen while well, there's the king back there. It doesn't seem to be that way. She seems to be the one who is ruling the land. As was uh, Candace in the book of Acts and, and so forth. So um, may not have been common in all, all areas, but in some places uh, the woman ruled. And it was so in, in this one. So the queen of Sheba came, it just says that she came with hard questions. Uh, don't know what those hard questions were. If you look at Dakes, I don't know where Dakes gets it from. He talks about it as riddles and something else he puts it as, uh, which uh, seems very odd. For I don't, If you came all that way, I don't think you want riddles. Uh, being deciphered, I would think you know you'd have questions about uh, things of nature, how they work. Uh, questions maybe about storms. Why do storms come up in here? And uh, I, I, science questions, stuff like that. It would seem to be things along those nature that uh, that she would be seeking. So it's interesting that Solomon had all this wisdom. So whatever her questions were, and good questions are born out of knowledge. She's not coming with ignorant questions. She came with some very well thought out questions. Maybe some she thought out herself. Maybe some were she had other people in the kingdom think up. And she looked at all these questions and decided which ones she was going to bring. She's the queen. She's going to decide which ones are coming. But probably other people came and brought some questions. Oh, I like that question. That's good to get the answer to that one. Um, so whatever it was, she came and there was nothing too hard for them. That's, uh, I mean, that's one thing when we have a Bible questions class here we're we're kind of taking questions around the bible but he whatever you wanted i mean nature science whatever it might be he come on in and we'll give you some answers and no matter what the question was he had the answer for it so that's uh quite quite interesting that but she came with the idea to prove him she wanted to see all right if it's this good let's let's see we're going to give him some hard questions I'm sure that she had some questions. I bet you this one, this one will snump them. You know, she's not giving them softball questions. She's she's in there to to 
Let's see what, what he's got. See what he's made of. And maybe when she, uh, I mean, she has a long trip. Maybe on that trip she said, all right, we'll start off with this one. And then we'll get harder as we go along. And then she had one, whatever her last question is, I'm sure she was thinking, this is, if everything else felt, this one will get them. I'm sure that no one has the answer to this question. And when she got the last question, she just had to be in awe and just say, wow. Everything was, was taken care of here. When the Queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, so I was hearing all the things, but she didn't just look there. The house that he had built. So apparently when she came, the house was finished, it would seem. So that would have to be about 20 years in. The food on his table. The seating of his servants. The service of his waiters. And their apparel or what they wore. His cupbearers. His entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. She looked at all these things. So on her way in to talk with him, she's looking at the at the, the, the house, the grounds, how it's being kept. She's looking at, where's the temple? There's a temple. Uh-huh, she's looking at that. She's, she's taking all this in. And then she's looking at the servants, how they're dressed, how they act, how they're seated, what they do. All these things she was taking in. And this, uh, this still goes on today. The world is always not just looking at what we say. It's looking at how we do it. How we go about things and, and that. So that's why even around here in, in church, you know, watch how you are behaving. Watch what it is that we do. Because people look at how you greet them. They look at how we're dressed. They look at the words that we use, the actions that we use. All these things people look at. And they will, whether right or wrong, and you know, you have a bad day, a bad day one day. <laughs> they don't know it's a bad day. To them, that's the way you always are. But she came on in, and the, the servants had seen probably a lot of people coming on in, dignitaries coming in, and this is just the way that they, that they were. It's real important that we, that we uh, watch how we are with everything that we do. Verse 6, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. So people came and they told her, just like people will go and tell folks around work, tell people around your neighborhood, tell people about you because you're a Christian. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. So she saw, she said, I, I heard it, but I didn't believe it. Now, you'll hear this from a lot of times from people in the world. I won't believe it unless I see it. Now, most times Christians, especially, you know, folks in word churches growing up under faith, we know better than to say stuff like that. We may think it, <laughs> but we know better than to say, to verbally put that out there. So we may think it on the inside using our inside voices, but we won't, we won't come out and say that. But she came out and said it. She doesn't know any better. But, um, of course, that's not necessarily true, is it? People in the world, as well as in the church, believe stuff they don't see all the time. I, we don't we don't know we don't see it people have in their homes a, a co2 monitor or a carbon monoxide monitor and if that thing goes off they can't see it but do they believe it yeah they believe it there you go they hear the the smoke alarm go off downstairs they don't see any smoke do they believe it 
They get up and they go check. They act like, a, like they believe it. If the doctor comes in and says, you have this, they can't see it. But do they believe it? The doc, well, the doctor told me. What, did you see it? Well, I can't see it. It's in my brain. It's in my body somewhere. Well, why are you believing it? So that the people in the world, they may say, well, unless I see it, I, I won't believe it. It's wrong. It's, you, you, people will believe stuff they don't see all the time. It's just um, a matter of what we choose. Whatever we believe is what we choose to believe. It's not because we saw something or didn't see it. But she chose not to believe this until she saw it because it was too wonderful what she was hearing. So she said, your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. She's saying they get to be in this, this place. I just get to be here today or whatever. Maybe she's there two days. I don't know. She, I just get to be here for this time. These folks are here every day. Now, you get to be there every day hearing Solomon say these things. I'm sure some of them probably tune it out after a while. Yeah, we hear this stuff all the time. You know, it's Solomon. Yeah, no big deal. And probably, you know, kibitzing among themselves. And you would think that could be a possibility. But she's looking around. She's not seeing anyone kibitz among them. She likes the way that they act. She likes the way that they're seated. She likes the way that they're dressed. She likes the way that they approach themselves. She likes the way they stand at attention. She likes all these things. This is, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't relax. They're, they're just always, always there, ready to go. Saw that down when we you know, the ceremony down with Christian. Beside all the folks that were down there on the floor in the ceremony, there were people up in the stands, and they just had to stand there and just watch their section of the crowd make sure we were all behaving. <laughs> and if anybody got out of line, and I don't mean out of line like acting up or anything like that. I mean getting out of line like stand up. You're not supposed to stand up. You're not supposed to walk around. You're not supposed to go beyond the yellow line. All these things. And as soon as anybody would do anything that was outside, if you stood up at the wrong time, they would come right on over, please uh, sit down. And then they came on back over to their spot by the pole and they would take their position. They would stand there. They wouldn't move. They would just stand there and they'd wait for somebody else to get out of line and come over. They speak to them and they would tell them all that. Christian was telling us down on the ground floor, if you if you saw any of the, the videos and stuff, I had uh, I think in his particular class, it was between seven and 800. There was a little smaller class than, than some of them were, about seven or 800 of them. They were all there on the, on the ground floor. And they had uh, the, this particular position of people. And since we knew about it ahead of time, we were watching for them. They're called body snatchers. Anybody ever heard of body snatchers? <laughs> what happens with a body snatcher is uh, the people that were down on the floor, you had to stand at attention. You had to stand still. You couldn't move around. And so what they told you was, don't lock your knees. If you lock your knees, you cut off the blood circulation after a while, and all the blood stays in your feet. And not enough is going around. I mean, it's not all cut off. Some are going, but not enough going around. And what happens is you just pass out. Fall asleep, pass out, whatever it is. You don't, you don't stand anymore. And so the body snatchers are there to watch for the signs. And if they begin to see the signs of someone who's going to go down, they would get in there and intercept them and drag them out to the back of the line, <laughs> lay them down, sit them down, whatever they had to do, get them back into the the shape they needed to be in and, and, and stuff like that. So, uh, And they would, it was just funny to watch the body snatchers going around because they were at attention and they would just go like this and like this, right up and down the line, just looking, watching each one, looking at this one. They would come right in between the lines. 
of the of the people and come in between there and oh it's just funny to to watch them see them all over the place there the body snatchers and i didn't see anything go on but christian said yeah my buddy next to me hit to take a knee we told him don't do it don't do it <laughs> it's all going down don't do it don't take a knee <laughs> but he said he took a knee anyway and they had to come in and get him and take him to the back of the the line and and uh and sometimes they'll they'll make you stay there and have to wait for medical attention and and stuff like that so don't do it don't do it you want to get out there and see your family and stuff like that and um, so anyway, those kind of things are going on. So it does take some work to stand at attention. You uh, you just can't necessarily have it happen. She looked at how all these folks were, how they were very tentative to everything that was going on. They weren't distracted by stuff. And she said, wow, this is this is something. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. So she heard about him. She heard about the name of the Lord because of him. So when people said the name of Solomon, they didn't just say Solomon. Solomon was given wisdom by the Lord. And she made mention of it. I heard about you. I heard about your God, that he had given you this wisdom. I came to see for it myself. So what she saw... She saw Solomon's wisdom, but that wasn't all she left in her list. His house, his table, his servants, how they dressed, the entryway into the temple. She saw these things. She just marveled at it all. And this is the this is the lady who's not doing too badly herself. She's got some nice stuff back at her place. But apparently she was impressed with what she saw over here. Put in your outline. People around us look at more than what we say. They're going to look at what you have going on, what's happening around you. They look at how you keep your stuff. They look at how you dress. They look at how you talk. They look at all these different things all the time. And it may not be right. It doesn't matter. They will look at it all the time. If you are the only saved person in your place of employment, you've got a target on you. And they're just watching for you to mess up. They don't care if anybody else messes up. They care if you mess up. If you mess up, we're going to talk about it. If you come in depressed, oh, that Christian over there, they're depressed. Not, not just you, that Christian over there, they're depressed. That Christian over there, they're angry. You've got to make sure that you, I mean, it doesn't seem to be fair. You've got to give up on life being fair because life is not fair. Who said life is supposed to be fair? There isn't anything fair about it. You just go along and you were the only Christian there. You are God's light. And God will, will help you do it. It's okay. People in the world say they don't believe what they haven't seen. But as we said, they do it all the time. They believe what doctors tell them. They read something in the book. Don't they believe it? They read something in the paper. Don't they believe it? I didn't see it actually happen, but they, I read that in the paper. They believe what the TV tells them. They weren't there to see it, but hey, I saw it on the TV. All right. Of course, you watched uh, Star Trek, didn't you? You know that actually didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, verse 10. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. <clears throat> now, if you look at some of the stuff that, that Solomon has already done, I mean, he built shields, and um, I think he had more gold in a shield than he had in this. But, you know, he's probably, oh, that's very nice. Thank you. But apparently the gold wasn't the big part of the present. It was the spices. 
spices in great quantity, precious stones. Now, I don't know if Ethiopia, if that area has any particular unique spices to the rest of the world, anything that they like more so than other people. I don't know. I don't know what Ethiopian spices would be like, but I'm sure if there was anything that was um, more around her area, she probably has more of those kind of things because they, they grew there. She brought all these spices and precious stones. They never again came such an abundance of spices as the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So of all the things she brought, it was the spices that was in great abundance. That was the thing that uh, was so much of. And apparently they appreciated it and made, made note of it. Maybe it was a tough spice for them to get in their uh, neck of the woods. Maybe it was some new things for them to try. I know there's some spices I don't want to get anywhere near. There are some spices that are on my X list. If you put them on the, I will not eat it. And I don't know what all of them are anymore, but um, there are some of them that just have a smell to them. What is that one they put on ham? The little, little, is that what it is, the cloves? I'll tell you what, you put them on a ham, I am not eating that ham. Oh, I do not like cloves. Oh, they are. If I, I, you can see them sticking out on the ham. I don't know. There are much better ways to do a ham than putting cloves, sticking them in there. If you like cloves in your ham, that's fine. You all can enjoy that. But, um, oh. And uh, for a while, you know, I, I got tarragon. Tarragon is supposed to be a good replacement for basil. I've compared the two, and I'm wondering, why do we want to replace basil? Basil is a fine spice, fine spice. Tarragon, mm-hmm. I'm, not that, I'm not that excited about tarragon. I tried it, I used it, and gave it a shot. But there's, there's some other ones, too. Oh, I'll tell you what, I just, I'm, I'm not a fan. But um, other folks are, so... You, you, there, you're certain, there are certain spices, certain things you don't like to, to see in your in your food. You, you may may um, may not, but maybe some of these are new for them. Maybe some of them they get to, to try out. So, whatever it was, the abundance of spices, they got a, a special note about it. Also, the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, uh, brought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir. And the king made steps of almug wood, wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Also harps and stringed instruments for singers. So I guess that wood is good for things like harps and stringed instruments and then you make steps out of it. There never again came such almug wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. Now King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given according to her royal generosity. So she turned and went to her own country. She and her servants. So all this stuff comes to him. It seems like every day, or at least the days he holds court and people can come on in, uh, they're giving him stuff, and then he sends them home with, at least with the Queen of Sheba, he sent her home with stuff. Don't know um, if they, he did that all the time, but uh, he was very generous. So whatever the dollar amount was of the stuff that she gave, he gave her uh, some good stuff to go on home with as well. All the wisdom that she wanted. And uh, just as according to his royal gener- to the royal generosity that he had. Verse 14. The weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. That's what came in every year. That's um, uh, apparently besides that from the traveling merchants and from the income of traders from all the kings of Arabia and from the governors of the country. 
So if you look at Dakes, Dakes puts this value, verse 14, at about $20 million. So the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. $20 million in Dakes' day 50 years ago. Multiply out by whatever it is today. Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, from all the kings of Arabia, and from the governors of the country. So all, all that was extra. $20 million plus that. That's what came to him every single year. Now, I don't know if I... Uh, Dakes had it in his section, and I, I think I gave it to you before, but I put it in here. I've got some other information on it too. But Dakes booked a temple building all total cost. Everything from the jewels to the gold to the um, silver to the brass to the labor, everything all together at $174 billion. Multiply that by out to, the, to today's standards. I don't know what that is. Now, I got somebody else. There was an article by, and there was a couple of these out there. I just copied the one. An article by Kenny uh, Chumbly. I don't know who that is. You may know who that is. I don't know who it is. I just did a search on some things. He said he did a value of the gold, just the gold that is listed for the temple. This is a much more modern day than Dakes. So if you want to get a comparison on this, just the gold. Not the jewels, not the cedar, not all the other stuff that was done in there, not, the, not any of the brass, not any of the labor, not any of the carton of all those stones from the place to where they were cut to the place over here. Twelve to nineteen trillion dollars. Twelve to nineteen trillion dollars. That's over what Dake says it is. He says he was compared... Uh, he, he gave his list of stuff he compared it to. It's very impressive <laughs> what he was he was looking at. But then he went on here and he, he did some other stuff too. He did a cost comparison to the Sears Tower. The Sears Tower, big thing over in Chicago. The Sears Tower cost nine hundred and three million dollars to build. Nine hundred and three million. He's saying that the gold alone for the temple was twelve to nineteen trillion dollars. That's national debt. The Golden Gate Bridge cost $1.34 billion. Billion. We're still not in the trillions. One trillion dollars is a thousand billions. One trillion dollars would equal uh, something like a thousand Golden Gate Bridges. That is, that is something. And that's just for one trillion. The interstate highway system, all the interstates, 95, 90, 81, all these things, all of them, all 100, all 99, whatever it is that they have of them, all of them together, $483 billion to build. Not the upkeep, just, the, just to build them. $483 billion. And we're talking, he's talking trillions for the temple. As far as he could tell in all his pricing out of everything that he could do, he could not find anywhere a $1 trillion building. Anywhere. And yet, if, he's, if his estimate is right, 12 to $19 trillion for the gold. That is, not the whole building. Just the gold. 
Is that anyone wants that article? Is it, it's not a real long one. It's just a interesting, interesting part there. Now that's what Solomon did for the temple. Now David, of course, saved a lot of that stuff. Verse 16, And King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, 600 shekels of gold, one in each shield. Just to have them. Now, if you're going to go out to war, you're not going out with gold shields. These are for show. These are for show. What you would do is they would, they would come out with the gold shields and they would hold them in such a way they would reflect the sun. And it would be striking to, to see all those gold reflecting. It was just incredible. Uh, Rehoboam's going to lose these and he's going to replace them with brass ones. <laughs> so you come on out and, well, it's not quite as shiny as it was before. But, you know, he's at least got something in there. He also made 300 shields of hammered gold, three minas of gold, one into each shield. I think these were smaller ones. The king put them into the house of the forest of Lebanon for whatever that house was. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Now, I don't understand that. If you're going to get the thing made out of ivory, isn't the idea to let the ivory show through? Because ivory has a beauty to it by itself. If you're just going to cover with gold, why not cover? Why not make it out of something else? I, I don't. <laughs> Is that so that everybody who comes in, that's ivory underneath there. <laughs> Whole thing. All ivory underneath that. You don't believe me? Come here. Let me show you to a little spot over here. Right? Look around. Uh, the throne had six steps. And the top of the throne was round at the back. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat. And two lions stood beside the armrest. Twelve lions stood there, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like this has ever been made for any other kingdom. So he had the most glorious of all thrones. Six steps to get up to the top of the, where the seat was. Then you sit down in this ivory seat with, of course, gold on top. And armrest and lions. The one thing I'm thinking about this, it is not comfortable. <laughs> How long do you want to sit in this thing? I, I mean, at least if you're going to make something like that that's all grand and glorious, pad the thing. That's what I would think. You know, I guess, guess he's not he's going to make it, but he's not. How long can you stay in that seat? I mean, think think bleachers at an event. Except this one has a back. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. When we were over there, Christians thing they had the bleachers and. And they, t- they told us you're going to be sitting on bleachers. And the one guy that we did the, um, the night before meeting where they give you all the information and, and stuff like that. So uh, our, we saw how many people were actually at the meeting. And we saw how many people were at the night before get together to hear what you should do. And there was not that many people who came to the get together as came to the event. So they didn't know. But he told us, he said, get, go over to Walmart and get yourself some, some pads, <laughs> some seat, seat cushions you can take with you. So I did. We had Walmart right across the street from where we were at. So I just ran over to the Walmart, got them, brought them on home. My wife said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll be fine. And it's just right over there. Just going to run over to that place. And I did. Ran over there. Survived my trip to the Walmart. <laughs> there, that was right across the street. It's all we had really in there to, to go out there and get stuff. So we'd actually been in the Walmart. Believe me, I was in the Walmart more on my trip to Chicago <laughs> than I have in the last couple of years. 
I was there three times. And the third time we were taking Christians, we had to get some stuff. And uh, he, oh, I need this. Oh, that's over here. I stopped myself. I said, oh, this is bad. I'm giving you directions in a Walmart. <laughs> this, is, this is not good. He just laughed at me. And we went on. Sure enough, it was where I told him what it was. <laughs> uh, but we got those little cushions. Those little cushions, they did help out a little bit. We put them on down there and everybody else was very uncomfortable. I can't say we were comfortable, but we were more comfortable than the rest of the people that were around us. And, but can you imagine that? No pads. And sitting on this thing. I can't imagine Solomon sat there for too long. But that was his, uh, his throne. I imagine that was in place when the queen of Sheba came. She sees him sitting up there on that, on that throne. Six steps up. Looking down. All Solomon's drinking vessels were gold. And all the vessels of the house of the forest of lemon were pure gold. Not one was silver. For this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. I don't know. They just don't, they didn't like silver. Now, have you ever seen those water purifiers that you get, you know, you run the water through? They're lined in silver. The reason they line them in silver is because the silver kills stuff. doesn't let things grow in there. So silver is good, but we don't want silver. We don't want to see silver because we don't think it's very valuable. But the, they had gold. I don't know what gold is like to drink out. I've never drank out of a gold cup. I like glass. I don't want plastic. I like glass. I want a nice glass. And I mean, if you chill the glass, it's even better. <laughs> Chocolate milk uh-huh. in a chilled glass. Oh, man, that just, that's, <laughs> that is the way to go with that right there. I'll tell you, that's, that's some good stuff. He likes chilled glasses? Yeah, we don't, we don't chill our glasses, but we were set up for it. Do not do warm glasses. Warm glasses, no. We don't want to cool that milk down. We want to... <clears throat> that milk needs to be cold. We don't like warm milk. <coughs> anyway. So he has all all his vessels, drinking glasses are... I guess the good side about that is they don't break. Right? If you drop them, make it, make it dented. But um, at least they won't break. For the king had merchant ships at the sea with the fleet of Hiram... Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys. We went over this last time. Now, I understand them bringing gold, but why bring in more silver if you don't think it's very valuable? But they did. They brought in gold. They brought in silver. They brought in ivory. They brought in apes and monkeys. I uh, don't know what you do with the apes and the monkeys. I, I really don't know what you do with them. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Then he goes on to verse 24. Now all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. Each man brought his presents, articles of silver and gold, garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate per year, uh, by year. <clears throat> As I, best I understand this, they had a going rate. If you want to come and see the king and ask him questions, here is the rate. One hour, so much gold, so much spices. There's a rate that's set. It wasn't just, you know, well, bring whatever you want. No, no, no. If you want the, if you, how long you want to see him for? Well, I'll, I'll buy 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Okay, then you got to, and they had a rate set up. And uh, if people were paying it too much, then next year probably they raised the rate up. All right, too many people came in. We, we didn't want to deal with that many people. So let's raise the rate up. And if people still came, 
well, we've got to raise the rate up again. So they would post it. They have a set rate. They put it on out there and they let everybody know, okay, we raised the rate for Solomon. His hourly rate is going up. So if you want to come and, and see Solomon, it's so much gold, it's so much silver, it's so much garments, it's so much horses or mules or whatever it might be. And you come on in. I'm sure there was a minimum. He probably wouldn't set this up for five minutes. Whatever his minimum uh, time was. Uh, people still sought it. People still wanted him to, to come on out. And people would say, well, that's, there's no way somebody's time is worth that much. I was listening to Brother Keith. He was talking about uh, some car. I asked Christian about it when I was out there uh, with him. And he picked up, I couldn't remember what it was. But uh, it was, I think it was a McClellan? McLaren. McLaren. Uh, P1. He'd see... He saw a McLaren P1 pulling up. He said, I never heard anything like that. And heard this thing pulling up and somebody told him what it was. $1.3 million is what this car is set at value. And when, uh, when it was said, there was a person sitting next to him. And uh, that person said, oh, that car is not worth $1.3 million. And uh, he said, down in his spirit came up, yes, it is. It is to that person. <laughs> it is to that one. If somebody will pay it, then it's it's worth it. You know, the reason that your house has the value that it does, the reason that your car has the resale value that it does, is because someone is willing to pay it. If someone's not willing to pay it, then it's valued, and you valued it too high. And that's what determines it. So, as people were willing to pay the rate for Solomon, they would raise, I don't know if they would lower it, but uh, they would <laughs> raise it up or do whatever they had to do. But there was a set rate. If you wanted to come and hear Solomon, and apparently all over the place, people were wanting to do this. Verse 26, And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. And we covered that last time. He built cities for the chariots. He built cities for the horsemen. And once he had these guys, he, he put them on in there. So this is what he, he's got in there. 104 uh, 1,400 chariots he had and 12,000 horsemen. This is the guy who hasn't, doesn't have to go out to war. But this is what he's got. And he stationed them in the chariot cities with the kings in, king in Jerusalem. And the king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores which were in the lowland. And Solomon had horses imported from Egypt and Kaveh. The king's Merchants brought them to in Kevin at the current price. Now, I was uh, trying to figure out what in the world is he trying to say here. It seems that Solomon's merchants brought these guys in. Well, because you keep reading here. Now, a chariot was, that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver. Well, if you don't consider silver valuable, who cares? This is a place we can get rid of some of it. I mean, if it's just like stones in the place, it's, you get rid of some stones, let's get rid of some silver. Let's go over here and to get us some silver or get us some, some uh, chariots because silver will buy them for us. Egypt thinks this stuff is valuable. And a horse, 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So it seemed that Solomon was bringing all this stuff in and then he would, imp he would uh, export it to the Hittites and to the kings of Syria. I'm sure that there was a markup. <laughs> he bought them off of Egypt for silver, but he sold them to the Hittites 
for probably gold or something else because we don't consider silver valuable. So we're going over here. We're buying this stuff with silver. We don't consider that valuable. And we're going to sell it over here to these guys for something else. But it was his merchants that did the transaction. Now, there was a warning that was given in the Bible. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, When you come to the land which the Lord your God has given you, and possess it and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. This is uh, given to Moses. Moses knew they were going to do this. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren you shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Our founding fathers took a whole lot of our constitution from the Bible. The fact that it states in there that it must be a U.S. citizen comes from here. All If you go through, I've heard people go through and they show all the different things that they, the founding fathers took from the Bible to make the constitution and the laws of the land. And this was, uh, this is, I would think that would be a no-brainer. <laughs> I think that we should just do that anyway. But uh, anyway, they, they spelled it in there because it's spelled out in the Word of God. But he shall not multiply horses for himself. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. So he's saying this, you're not going to have horses and breed them, nor are you going to go down to Egypt and buy them. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. God is saying this, don't go down to Egypt. What did Abraham do when he came to the land? He went down to Egypt. What did the Israelites do when they got in the wilderness and got out of Egypt? We want to go back to Egypt. What did they do when they came to the promised land and saw there were giants in the land? We want to go back to Egypt. What did they do every time they ran into a problem? Let's go back to Egypt. So God says, do not go back to Egypt. Don't multiply horses yourself and don't go down to Egypt to get them because I do not want you to go down to Egypt. What is Solomon doing? He's going down to Egypt. But he's not just going down to Egypt to get horses for himself and chariots for himself. He's going down to get it for kings around him to sell him at a profit because he can make money. Do you think Solomon needs to make money? <laughs> he's already made the most expensive building in history. Current and his, uh, his, during his time too. The most expensive building in history he made. And he still has enough money to build his own house, a house for his wives, a house for the queen, all the, all the cities for all his stuff, storage cities, chariot cities, horse cities, all that sort of stuff, plus all the other things that he built. And he still has money left over, and he still has more money coming in, and he decides, hey, here's how we can make some more money. Let's go down to Egypt. Get the horses for silver. We'll sell them for something else. So he ignores that one. Verse 17. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Multiply wives for himself. Lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. So this is the warning that is given by Moses. Don't multiply horses. Don't do it. Don't go down to Egypt to get them either. Don't do it. Don't multiply wives. And don't multiply silver and gold. What does Solomon do? Multiply silver and gold. 
And when he's got more silver than they even think is not even valuable, he multiplies and gets more. Because people are still bringing in silver. Multiplying gold. Multiplying wives. Multiplying horses. The wisest man in the world can't follow the word. Also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book for the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. Be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So he was supposed to sit on that throne and write this book and then keep it there so that he could have it. But he's sitting on the throne spending all the time talking to people about their questions and receiving their gifts and going against everything well, everything that's in this passage. He broke every single thing. Now, I took this from an outline I gave you a long time ago, but I put it back into this one. Beware of multiplying wars, women, and wealth. Which is basically what this passage is saying. Now, the reason for we put it this way is, is this. Obviously, women, that's what it says directly. Wealth, silver, and gold. Wars, how do you continue to increase in stuff if you are a king? You go out and conquer. And once, now, David had conquered them, and Solomon exacts prices from them that they are to pay each year. We've got to beware of, of these things. I put this in your outline, too. The world around us is watching. It will test the truth of what is said by us or others. It's going to test the truth. What other people say about Christians, what you say about Christians, what you say about yourself, it will test those things to see if they're true. And I put this warning in there too. Beware. We can always find excuses to go around the warnings God has given us. Solomon, I'm sure, knew the words of Deuteronomy. He knew the words, but he probably figured, well, that's for regular people. I happen to be the wisest man ever to walk the face of the earth. <laughs> I don't know whether that's the excuse he came up with. He came up with something because he directly went against what the word said to do. This is not just a general verse in Scripture that maybe he missed. This is a word specifically for kings because God knew that eventually they were going to get a king, ask for a king, and when you get a king, get one that I pick, which they did, which is Solomon. And then make sure that king doesn't do one, two, three. And what does Solomon do? One, two, and three. He does it all. Solomon knows this verse. He may not know every verse in the Bible, but this is to the kings. This is specifically written to when Israel would have a king. He had to know what this verse said. Verses. This is what his father said to him. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. It's very familiar to us. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. 
Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Solomon was told these words from David his father. He remembered them and he wrote them down. But he didn't do them. He let them go. If Solomon could try and sidestep the word and got himself in trouble, how much more can we? We have to make sure that what the word of God says, oh, we keep it close to us. Whatever it says, we do it. Follow after the word. Whatever warning it gives, trust that it's right. Just, just well, that's what you say. That's what I'm going to do. Whatever warnings it emphasizes, make sure that we do it. When it says, in all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding, we've got to make sure that we get those things. It tells us to pursue the understanding of the word. This is a major thing. We've got to get hold of this. When it says to keep those revelations in front of us, we've got to keep them in front. It gives us warnings like, don't multiply horses. How many people have horses in your backyard? <laughs> you're all doing good. <laughs> now it doesn't mean that you can't have a horse as a pet and go out there and ride it it's talking about multiplying horses what God did not want them to do was to have their trust in horses and chariots which is what he says in his word I want you to trust in me not in your army not in your chariots not in your horsemen not in those things because in that day the strength of an army was in its chariots and its horsemen those are the things that instilled fear. World War II, it was tanks and some, some other things. And uh, now probably tanks aren't as feared as they once were because there's other things that we fear more <laughs> than tanks. But those are the things that we, we measure, might buy. We can try and sidestep the warnings that God gives us. It didn't work for Solomon. It won't work for us. We gotta make sure that we take all the, the warnings that it gives us and stay with them. Now we look at the Bible, the Bible's a big book. There's a lot of warnings in there. Am I responsible for all of them? Yep. That's why he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. That you may be careful to do all that is written there therein. For then will you make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Those are the words to Joshua. These were the words to Solomon. Those are good words to keep in mind. These words to Solomon, I have stuck in my brain because David Ingalls put it on one of his albums. <laughs> and he read it every single time. I never skipped past it. I, oh, he, could, he read it every single time. I have it drummed in me. I could not forget it if I tried to forget it. It's down in me like John 3.16. I just... Uh, I, I hear him say it too. Every time I, I hear him playing on the piano and saying this thing. Every time I read these things, I hear him playing in the piano in the background. <laughs> because that's what he does when he, when he reads it. It's a wonderful thing to have stuck in your head. But we've got to get these things down because the warnings that God gives us are not to be missed, not to be not followed. We've got to follow every single one. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us to heed every warning that you lay on us. You didn't just put them out there, Father. 
You put them out there to help us. To keep us from the things that were trying to take us down. We want to honor every single one. I thank you, Father, that we can. You did not put too many warnings in there that we cannot be mindful of them all. But we will study your word. We will keep your word before us all the time. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.